I want to talk to you tonight on this subject, the basis of blessing. The basis of blessing. And we want to start by examining the verses in Malachi chapter 3. We'll begin in verse 7. Malachi chapter 3, of course, Malachi being the last book in the Old Testament. Even from the days of your fathers, ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye say, wherein shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Everybody's wanting a, best, a blessing. We're going to examine this tonight. Pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. How many of you know there's someone wanting to devour you? Spiritually, financially, emotionally. But he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. And he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed. For ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. A delightsome land. Amen. Saith the Lord of hosts. And he goes on, talks a little bit more. But those are the verses that we're going to be emphasizing. We also know that there is a, a scripture in the book of Acts that we often quote, and it's found in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. It says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When we talk about the basis of blessing. There is numerous scriptures that overlap that, that just confirm one, uh, one another about how that blessing and giving are interconnected. They are part and parcel to each other. We um, had a great time uh, on Tuesday uh, with our Hands for Healing ministry as um, Channel 2, uh, NBC News came out and set up their satellite truck. They were here early, early in the morning. And... Um, they uh, broadcast their, their food drive that they do every December from uh, our Hands for Healing ministry, wrote a tremendous article and, and had a, a, a great uh, presentation um, on their, their cable news channel about the Hands for Healing ministry and uh, East Wind Pentecostal Church. And uh, I thought about all of the people that, that are so faithful to that ministry, that work uh, diligently uh, throughout the hot months of being out there and loading hours, hours loading uh, boxes into cars. And, and uh, you say, you, how, how are people so committed? It's just volunteer driven. Well, people that have been involved in, 
and giving and in volunteering and in serving. They do it because they love it. It's a labor of love. It's not because it's easy, but because once you get involved in any kind of ministry that involves service, that involves giving, that involves um, sacrifice, there is a joy that comes with it. There is a blessing that comes with it. And people that never do it can't understand it. They don't know why, and they think, wow, that's great. I'm glad that they do it, but they're, they're not necessarily um, firsthand uh, observers of it unless they get their, their hands actually into the, the ministry of it. They can sort of be on the sidelines, I guess, and examine it. But until you really get in it, you don't really understand it. And once again, we're reminded that there is this blessing that is associated uh, with giving. So we know that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. We know that verse. We have studied that verse. And uh, I want to uh, talk a little bit tonight in the few moments that I have with you is sort of um, how does the science of that work or what is the, what is the process that brings the blessing? And that's really what we want to uh, explore tonight is that that basis for blessing. Because everybody wants a, a blessing, but if we understand the basis for the blessing or the science behind the blessing, and I, I use that word science probably incorrectly, but the, the mechanism uh, behind the blessing, then I think we can understand how that God is no respecter of persons and that he desires to bless each and every person. Now, Let's talk a little bit about Malachi because Malachi is where we, we receive this uh, rebuke, as it were, as the Lord was rebuking the children of Israel, but also there, there's a promise that's associated with it. And uh, it's strong language, but it's very clear. And it, I think we can examine the verses that we read in the text, and it'll lay out what the basis is for blessing. Uh, understand this, Malachi was the last of the prophets, the times in which he lived about uh, roughly 400 years before Christ were remarkably similar to the day uh, that we live now in this generation. Uh, the religious leaders of that time had failed to proclaim and to maintain uh, the laws of God. We see that in our world today. Uh, for uh, the most part, religion has failed it has failed humanity. There's been many, many countries I've gone into that have literally been enslaved by false religion, by Catholicism and the Roman Catholic Church and, and uh, even the Church of England and, and uh, Eastern Orthodox churches. And I mean, the list goes on and on. But religion as, as a whole has miserably failed um, societies and humanity and it is because they have forsaken the word of God as the basis for their sincerely held religious beliefs and when you leave the word of God that's why I want to examine these principles tonight through the lens of the word of God because that's where real truth comes from it's where we uh, we wrote the book based upon uh, biblical principles on the bucket of joy. So we understand that this, this blessing uh, is very important because 
It's not anything that's new. Where we are today is a repeat of where uh, Malachi found himself. The religious leaders had, had failed to proclaim and maintain the laws of God. The house of the Lord was being robbed of its glory. We have to be careful that we don't allow the house of God to be robbed of its glory. In other words, when we come to the house of the Lord, we have to always make sure we're coming with the right purpose and the right motive, and that is to give glory and honor unto God. Uh, in that day, it, the, the house of God had been robbed of, of tithes and offerings. And uh, today, uh, for if you were to study all different denominations, uh, you would find that very few uh, religions, uh, in fact, I don't know of any off the top of my head, that have 100% of its membership faithfully tithed. Uh, our um, belief is, is much greater than most. Um, the people that are a part of East Wind Pentecostal Church, that are a part of United Pentecostal Church, as our, our mission is, all Jesus, all nations, all in, uh, is much more of a committed core than, than your average church on the street corner. And so uh, I would dare say in our church, there's a, a higher percentage of people that tithe and uh, give in offerings than, uh, than those of, of, a, of a different denomination or a different church. So um, for the most part, and we're looking at this across a general perspective of, of all churches, all denominations, uh, Christianity as a whole, it, it really has been robbed of tithes and offerings. Most people... Uh, are more about tipping than they are about tithing. They're tippers, but they're not necessarily tither. Unless you pay 10% of your increase, you're not actually tithing. And uh, so that's part of it. And, of course, we know from Malachi, that's where they're experiencing that. We see that in our culture. Uh, God's chosen people at that time were intermarrying with the pagan nations around them. And they were failing, therefore, to fulfill their their rightful responsibilities. We see that going on today. People uh, are, are marrying those that are not of the same faith. When I grew up, you didn't date somebody that was not Pentecostal. You just didn't do it. And uh, that's the way it ought to be t today. And uh, we find ourselves more and more with generations slipping out of that. And, and you, when, when you, you begin to date someone that, that doesn't have the same religious beliefs as you do, then what you're doing is setting yourself up to violate another biblical principle that says to not be unequally yoked together. So all of these things are causing us to see a similarity of a time that we were, uh, we were in before as a people, and, and this is where the Word of God came forth to Malachi. So it's certainly pertinent uh, to where uh, we are today. So Malachi's message was one of exposure, it was one of rebuke. It was one of challenge. But right at the heart of this prophecy was this faithful preacher that was laying down the basis of blessing. And it is principles that apply to all time, to all generations. In Malachi's day, the blessing was primarily material and physical. But I believe in the church age that we know we're the, the, the end of that, this 2,000 years begin on the day of Pentecost, the church age that we're still a part of, but, but we see that that age is wrapping up uh, rapidly. Um, it's, it's not necessarily material and physical. 
But I believe in this church age that God's purpose for his people is also of spiritual refreshment. It's a spiritual uh, enlightenment. It's a, um, a regeneration, as it were, of, of the natural man that we can have joy, that we can have peace. There, there is a blessing, and I know a lot of times we talk about blessing, we think about it in terms of finances, you know, and, and uh, Malachi describes it as the windows of heaven opening up. But you have to understand there's a lot of intangible blessings that come with serving God. Just like the article I read to you in Time Magazine, it said, we found these people are just, they're, as a whole, they're happier. And they don't deal with as much stress. And, and they're able to handle the vicissitudes of life. That's the challenges of life. They're able to handle a lot of variables. They don't live in as much fear. You see, there's all these intangibles that come because the blessings of God are not necessarily a, a bigger paycheck, although God does bless financially, but it's also a mental health and an emotional health and a, and a peace of mind and a, and a strength that comes in the, the midst of the struggle. It's this, this spiritual well of joy that springs up. Oh, hallelujah. And so this is a, a delight that comes in the presence of God. So we want to look at these conditions and observe what it is that causes the windows of heaven to be open to us in fullness of blessing. And we believe there has to be three things. And these are the three things that we're going to talk to you about tonight is number one, there must be a moral restoration. And we just touched on that briefly. We'll get into it in a little bit more detail. But number one, there has to be a moral restoration. Number two, a material restitution. A material restitution. And finally, number three, a miraculous realization. Let me give you those three again. And we'll go into them more. Number one, a moral restoration. Number two, a material restitution. And number three, a miraculous realization. Let's start, first of all, with a moral uh, restoration. And again, we're taking these from Malachi 7 that we read in the text. Yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. So in the biblical teaching of divine blessing, there is no substitute for repentance and obedience. There's no substitute for repentance and obedience. When nations or individuals depart from the laws of God and manifest a, a spirit of rebellion, heaven demands nothing less than moral restoration. This means a, a restoration that is initiated by repentance. Return to me and I will return to you, saith the Lord of hosts. So repentance, it signifies a change of mind that then leads to a change of heart. So many times people feel like, well, I don't feel it yet, but you, you can move toward repentance by hearing the word and knowing that you need to repent, knowing that you need to make things right. And if you do, a change of mind will lead to a change of heart. Don't wait until your heart changes 
and then have your mind follow your heart. Have your mind under the auspices of biblical principles and teaching. Have it lead the charge. And then the emotions and the feelings will follow that. And so in essence, it is a, it is a complete turnaround. It's a, a coming back with, with deep uh, contrition and humility to a, a, an offended and grieved God. This is, is something that we do have to remember is that when we don't live up to the biblical uh, guidelines that God has given us, we literally grieve and offend God. And so it's not as if God says, okay, now I'm mad at you. Now I'm not going to bless you uh, in, a, in a spiritual uh, legal system, if I can say it that way, that there are blessings and there are consequences. And so for us to get in line with the blessings of God, we have to get in line with the moral responsibility that each one of us have as those that have been created in the image of our God, our creator. So remember that sin is not only a departure from righteousness, but it is a departure from God. Sin is a departure from God because we serve this holy, marvelous, mighty uh, God. It, sin automatically creates a gap uh, between you and God. So uh, repentance is nothing less than a return to God. And we know that our blessings flow from God. It's just we have to get back to God. And so the wonder of it all is that when we return, he returns also. Oh, hallelujah. He says, return to me and I will return to you. What a great God we serve. He will return to us. In New Testament language, John puts it this way. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. So if we do... We understand this, this fullness of blessing will flow from that, and our lives uh, begin to uh, get back in harmony with the will and the word of God. Because if we have wandered from God, um, and we're in a place that uh, we're not uh, being blessed of God, we don't feel uh, that inner peace. Uh, we feel like we're out of step, we're out of touch, something's not right, and uh, God is calling us back to a place of harmony and a place of righteousness and a, a place of moral uh, restoration. And so he is saying, return, return. And more uh, than repentance, however, is needed to uh, perpetuate uh, restoration. Uh, it's not just to return, but it's also to obey. Restoration is perpetuated by obedience. If it is initiated by repentance, it is perpetuated by obedience. That's why it, until you obey the word of God, you never really get peace. You never really enjoy this walk with God until you say, I'm tired of fighting against the word of God, explaining things away. I'm going to just obey the word of God. When you do, you are aligning yourself with the blessings of God so that those windows can open up and begin to pour out upon your life and your family's life. And it goes on to say, yet from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from my ordinances and have not kept them. So God has linked blessing to a life of obedience. Uh, do this and you will live, Luke chapter 10, verse 28 says. This is, this is not uh, 
uh, a piece of legalism. It is a divine principle of life and blessing. And Malachi uh, solemnly reminds his people that they have departed from God's ordinances even as their fathers before them. Now, through Samuel, we read that, that Israel, this favored nation, had learned and, and known that to obey is better than sacrifice uh, and, and to heed than the, the fat of rams. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Therefore, there was no excuse. We, 1 Samuel was there. It was taught. It was understood. And now we're all the way down to Malachi. They had had plenty of opportunities, plenty of prophets and so forth that had preached the, uh, the road of righteousness and had given them uh, a, a roadmap, as it were, for, for them to be able to be in alignment with God's word and God's law. So if we look at that and we juxtapose that to where we are today, we want those windows of heaven to be opened upon our lives. We have to fulfill the conditions of repentance and obedience. It all starts with that. There is the only way that you and I can get to moral restoration. And can I just say this before we, we move on to the second uh, area of this study, and that is this. We need to get back to true repentance. It seems like that nowadays people are just sorry that they got caught. And there, nobody confesses anything until they get to the point where uh, it, it's, you know, the, the, the jig is up, they say. You know, it's, it's out. You're not going to be able to you know, keep it quiet anymore. And then they decide to confess. But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says to confess your sins. There's something about uh, when, when you have the opportunities to go uh, another path, but you choose uh, to follow biblical principles, that that's when you get freedom. It's when you say, Lord, I'm going to make things right. You don't wait until you don't have a choice, and then you, you know, you're, you're, you're sorry just enough to, uh, to get through it. But, I mean, repentance has got to involve a true um, sorrow where there's something in our heart and mind that says, I, I, I messed up. I have got to get back. You know, in the old days, we read this about, how they would grab a hold of, of the altar and people would pray and cry all night long. And, and we read about it in the book of Acts where they, uh, uh, or in the Old Testament where they would grab a hold of the horns of the altar and say, I've got to get a hold of God. And, and Jacob wrestled all night with the, uh, uh, you know, this theophany. The Lord appeared to him as an angel. And so all of these different uh, images and these different stories and these uh, different accounts give us a history of people desperate uh, to be right with God. And so I don't know uh, what's in front of us, but I do believe that uh, we are for uh, coming into uh, a time that I believe uh, God is going to uh, bring the church together and uh, we're going to prepare for the second coming of the Lord, which is imminent. I believe that with all of my heart. And I believe that things are going to get worse before they get better. And we as a church are going to have to make sure that we're sold out. If we're not all Jesus, all nations, all in, we're going to have a hard time. As the Bible says, if you can't run with the footman, how are you going to run with the horseman? And if you can't serve God when well, you've got every opportunity to serve God, you've got a beautiful building, beautiful church, you've got every opportunity to serve God, how are you going to do it when you're facing persecution and your family and your life is being threatened. Oh, my friend, you got to make up in your mind. I'm going to serve God no matter what. I'm going to say, God, I'm going to ask you, Lord, forgive me of my sins, and I'm going to really have genuine sorrow and say, Lord, I need a moral restoration of my soul.
Mm, God wants to bless his people. It's not God's will for us to live in stress and in fear and worry and strife. And God, that's not God's will. It's because of a moral restoration that's needed. We've got to get back to saying, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. We've got to get back to saying, Lord, I don't want to just operate on my own understanding and on my own flesh, but I want your spirit to lead me and guide me. That's the moral side of it. Now let's talk about a, a material restitution as this word now sort of shifts gears in, in, uh, in Malachi 7. It says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Now, the principle of material giving is God is consistent and absolute throughout the Holy Scripture. When he uh, says that he's going to bless, he does. And when we give, God blesses. And conversely, when we withhold, God curses. It works the same both ways. When we give, God blesses. And when we don't give, God doesn't stay neutral. He curses. So God says, you are cursed with a curse. You say, well, pastor, are you sure? That's what I'm just telling you what the Bible says. You are cursed with a curse for you have robbed me even this whole nation. Malachi had to challenge the nation to bring. Now that, that's, a, that's an important word, bring. Bring the tithes. Because his people had failed to do so. Thus they were not living in blessing. And, and the, this word on material restitution is not addressed to givers. It's addressed to withholders. Bring. Paying tithes is not giving. It is a returning. This may be a, a brand new concept for some of you. When we pay our tithes the first 10% of our increase... We are returning to God what belongs to him. We're not over here saying, okay, I think I'm going to give 10% because these are my tithes. No, we are returning what already belongs to God. When you look at how Joseph was uh, uh, working with his brothers to see if their hearts had changed when they were coming out to Egypt to, uh, to ask for food and grain, and they would bring money, and he would give them bags of grain and of course, he recognized they was, those were his brothers. They didn't recognize him. He was, you know, the governor of Egypt. The Bible describes him as the Lord of the harvest. And he was the one in charge of, of being able to provide them for the food that they needed. So he would put their uh, money back in their bags, and they would go back, and they would open it up, and they would say, Dad, we brought the money, and here's the grain of it. The, the money we brought is given back to us, and so forth. And he said, well, bring it. We'll go again when we run out, and we'll take that money plus more, and they would do that. And, you know, and Joseph would put it back in there. And so he would always return it back. But the, the, the thing that was so inspiring to me a few years ago when the Lord gave me this message that he put this silver cup in their bag and it had the mark of, it had the marks of ownership of the governor of Egypt. And so uh, he did it as a test. They had not stolen it, but he wanted to uh, teach them what it was to understand what belongeth to God belongeth to God and who he was. And then they got a revelation when the, when the guards went out and they found the brothers and they said, come on back. And uh, they looked through their bags and they said, we found the silver cup. Somebody stole a silver cup. No, we would never do that. Oh, yeah. And they opened the bag up and here it is in Benjamin's bag, their youngest brother. Oh, no, you can't take him. We've already lost one brother. And they all come back. All the brothers come back. They come back and they return the silver cup back. It was when they did that that they got a revelation of who Joseph was. That silver cup represents your tithe. Those offerings that they brought, that money that they brought that was returned, that was something that happened voluntarily. But the silver cup 
had to be returned because it had the identity and the ownership of the Lord of the harvest. And when they returned that, that, that rightfully belonged to Joseph, not what they had brought with them, but that that had marks of ownership on it, that they returned to Joseph, it was then that they got a revelation that Joseph was their brother. And when you and I return to God what belongs to him, we get a revelation that he's the Lord of the harvest, that he's our Jehovah Jireh, that he is our provider. And I'm going to tell you something, folks. It is a spiritual thing. When you get a revelation, you begin to say, Lord, I don't know how this is going to work in my budget. Here's what I do know. I'm going to give back to you what belongs to you. I'm going to live on the 90% and the 10% is going to belong back to you. Hallelujah. When you begin to do that, you're going to begin to see God bless you in ways that you cannot imagine because now you are in an alignment with the will of God and the word of God. And so it says to bring it doesn't uh it doesn't say to give your tithes it says to bring uh that means that you are and i are 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 stewards of money we we have been we've had things put in our possession that don't necessarily belong to us i remember when i was in bible school they uh uh they um gave me a a great opportunity when i worked at the bank in uh, saint paul minnesota uh to um literally be in the bank by myself. Here I am, an 18-year-old kid, and I am locking up the bank, and I ran the drive-through by myself. Everybody else went home from the lobby, and the, the drive-through, you know how it is in a bank. They stay open an hour later, and I was there in the drive-through, and I was there with all of this money. And it would have been really easy for me at 18 years old to think, well, it's in my possession. I must be the owner of it. How long do you think that would have lasted if I got that kind of attitude? I even had a guy come in one time, and I think he was trying to rob me. I'm still not sure if he was robbing me or not. He put a note in the little drawer and passed it in there and said, this is a, a hold up, and, you know, give me the money. Da, da. And I looked at it, and I laughed, and he laughed, and he drove off. I don't even know if it was a real robbery or not. <laughs> I was so naive. I wasn't even sure what a bank robbery looked like. I didn't see a gun, so I wasn't giving out any money, you know. And besides that, I had that glass there that was bulletproof or whatever, hopefully. And uh, <laughs> I never, never had it tested, thank the Lord. But uh, there, there, was, there were other tellers that, that got in trouble. I remember this, uh, this girl that uh, worked on the same teller line that I was on. They came in one day and arrested her and took her out in handcuffs. And we said, what in the world happened to, to Anna? And they said, well, Anna uh, took some uh, money out of her drawer over the weekend and went to Vegas. And, and was planning on winning money with it and coming back and putting back in the drawer before she got audited. But they audited her before the money got back, and so uh, she got arrested. So you have to be careful that you don't start to think that just because you have it in the palm of your hand that it belongs to you. And that's just an example of it, but God blesses us and puts stuff in our hand. We would be wise to remember that it doesn't belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. So uh, there's, there's different aspects to this material restitution. Let me break it down. First of all, the place of this restitution. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. That's the place of restitution. From the time of Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 31, there was a, uh, in the sanctuary, there was a storehouse 
Uh, and it was built for depositing the tithes and offerings of the people. And this was also true of the second temple in the days of Nehemiah. We read about that in Nehemiah 10, 38 and 39. But even before this, God clearly states that all the tithes and offerings of the people were to be brought to one place. In fact, if a man lived too far away to carry his corn, wine, or firstlings of his herds, flocks, he was instructed to turn his goods into money in order that he might, and I quote, go to the place which the Lord his God chooses, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29. So the New Testament also confirms it's the, it's the counterpart of this principle in that church members give all their tithes to the local church, and the disbursements of money may and should include uh, needs beyond the local church, just like we've done with our, our Go ministry, but the responsibility was to bring all the tithes to the local church. That's illustrated in the Old Testament, and it's also indicated in the New Testament. And a great sin of our time is uh, this time, this day and age that we live, is the robbing and the defrauding of the local church by its membership. And until such restitution is made, God will not bless. Now, let me just stop and say this. I believe one of the reasons that we see favor upon this church and that we see blessing upon this church is because we do have faithful members and many, many people, not 100%, probably not even 90, probably not even 80, but there is a high percentage of people that are members of East Wind Pentecostal Church that faithfully give in tithes and offerings. And because of that, Everybody receives the blessing of being in the presence of God when we come to the house of God. So the storehouse is, is the, the local church. This means bringing our tithes to the place where our membership is established. You shouldn't use your tithes to give to the March of Dimes. You shouldn't use your tithes to support uh, somebody on the, on the television that you like their hair doing. They got a big Bible with a gold leaf on it. The storehouse is your local church. It's where your spiritual life is being nourished. It's where your membership is established. And uh, our church privileges are enjoyed here, and we have that wonderful blessing of God. But if we give elsewhere, then it should be over and above the required tithe of our church. This is, is scripturally binding upon all who desire to see the blessing of God. Now, if you don't want the blessing of God, just do whatever you want to do. But if you want the blessing of God on your life, we, we're not going to kick you out if you don't pay tithes. We're, we're still going to uh, let you come and sit on our beautiful seats. But you are robbing yourself. And, and I'm not preaching this because, like I said, it's because we don't have a giving church. We have a great church, and it's, tithing is as strong this year as it has been any other year when there was no COVID. So even COVID couldn't put a hole in tithe. Because of the faithfulness of God's people. But I always feel like that there's so many other people that God would like to bless if they could just get a revelation of what God will do. If you, In fact, this is one point where the Lord said, put me to the test and see if I won't pour you out a blessing. Hmm. So that's the, the one thing is the location. Now, the second thing is the proportion of the restitution. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and it is the portion, it is the proportion or that uh, 10%. Tithing is 400 years older than the law. Did you know that? 400 years. Abraham gave tithes to God through Melchizedek. 
the king, he was a king and also a priest we read about in Genesis 14. And according to the seventh chapter of Hebrews, Melchizedek is a type of Christ in his resurrection. Melchizedek gives Abraham bread and wine, which are symbols of service. And Abraham acknowledges his indebtedness to God by giving him tithes and all his spoils. In other words, tithing is the scriptural way of saying thank you to God for all that he has done for us. What a great God we serve. And so if we know there's joy in giving, if we know that God opens up the windows of heaven and blesses us, and he indeed is the blessor, it seems like that paying tithes would be something that we wouldn't even have to think about. But indeed it is a challenge because money is the God of this world. And so when you see a church begin to give, you will see a blessing come upon that church. Now, over the last 22 years that I've had the, the honor to be your senior pastor, we have been involved in a lot of different uh, uh, stewardship campaigns. We wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the giving of God's people. And we have seen every time we begin to sacrifice financially, God begin to bless spiritually. In his book, Giving to God, Robert uh, Laylaw illustrates this thought. He said, I go to a home where there's a little girl, five or six years of age, and give her a box of chocolate. She straightway disappears, and when she returns, her lips and fingers are covered with chocolate. In another home, I give a box of chocolates to a, a little girl, and the, and the little girl brings it to me and says, you have the first one. And I say, oh, no, no, they're for you. But please, she pleads with me to give her, you, you, you brought them to me. Do please have the first one. And so... Um, you know, the individual takes of the first one and says, thank you so much. That's so kind of you. Now, the question that he proposes in his book, and I propose to you now, is simply this. Which child has the warmest place in the affections and the generosity of the gift giver? Which one is more likely to get another box of chocolates? Is it not the one who says you take of the first part of it? Now, uh, this is something we've tried to teach our our, our children because uh, whenever we go through Chick-fil-A drive through and it comes across the front seat, the mom and the dad pull those waffle fries out. And our, uh, our children begin to holler that those are their fries. Those are their fries. Although I've just paid for the entire meal. <laughs> And my wife says that's called mom tax. There's a mom tax that you have to pay as it goes across the front of the, of the seat and goes to the back. You think about that. God, every good gift cometh down from the Father of lights. How crazy is this for us to get all stingy with God and say, no, no. And God's paid for the whole meal. And we don't want to give him a fry back? <laughs> and those frosted lemonades. Hmm, don't even get me started on those. They get nervous back there when I stop to, you know, take a swig on that straw. That's my lemonade. I ordered it, but I paid for it. I'll drink the whole thing if I want to. <laughs> the tithe is the first chocolate handed back to God. It's the first fry in the fry bag. It's the first swig on the frosted lemonade. You're still going to have the whole thing to drink from. Just return back to God what belongs to him. And 
it's just one-tenth of the total income as the, as the Word of God indicates. And for uh, others, it'll be more. For some, it'll be less. It's, it's, it's amazing how God did that. Ten percent. It's, it's, it's equal sacrifice for every individual. So in addition to tithes and offering, this, this word means the free will giving, which is over and above the basic tithe. And the Bible teaches that God demands the tithes, whereas he deserves our offerings. He demands the tithes, but he deserves the offerings. Because such giving is for our good and blessing. What we just uh, made commitments to in 2021 was our go, which is what we do to give to missions. And we, and we give to all these different ministries. That's not our tithes. That's over and above what we pay as tithes. You say, how can a church do that? You know why? Because we have learned. We have proved him. And he is a blesser. And as my father always said, you can't outgive God. There is an overflow that comes from a heart that is connected to the heartbeat of God. And ladies and gentlemen, there is no greater giver than God. For God so loved the world that he gave. Give is a natural byproduct of love. If you don't love the Lord, you won't want to give to the work of God. But if you love the Lord, it will just naturally flow. It's an overflow that comes from your heart and your mind. Because you want to, you give because you love, and that is exactly what the Lord did. So given is older than the law, and it was enforced by the law. It was approved by our Lord in Matthew 23. He merely acknowledges it in Matthew 23. He condemns its practice without the right spirit. And it was included in the teaching of the apostles in 1 Corinthians 16.2. Jesus says in his teachings in Matthew that if we do it with the wrong spirit, then it is of no consequence. So have we been robbing God? Tithe is the proportion of restitution that he expects of us if the windows of heaven are to be open in our lives. So finally, and I'm, I'm still under this second one about material restitution. The finally, the, the third subcategory of that is the purpose of the restitution. Bring all the tithes in the storehouse that there may, here's why, here's the purpose of the restitution. That there may be food in my house. Oh, Hallelujah. The tithes and offerings were the only means by which the priests lived. They had no inheritance of their own. When you look at Numbers 18, 20 through 32. And in a similar way, God has ordained that the church should function by means of the tithes and offerings of God's believing people. And we see that again in Corinthians 9, 1 through 14. What is more, the general teaching of the New Testament makes it evident that in normal circumstances, each local assembly should be self-supporting. And I'm so thankful that we are. We don't have to send a portion of our money away uh, to an organization. We do that voluntarily. We support national causes and missions and youth programs and whatnot. But it is a part of what makes us as a local assembly be able to be self-supporting. And that follows a biblical example. So with this purpose in view, God curses those who rob him to hold back what is due his in a local church is to merit the judgment of God. And an extreme example of his judgment happened in the early history of Israel in Cana, and it also happened in the early history of the church. What we see with the children of Israel as they came over the promised land was that there were 10 cities that they were to conquer. And then and Jericho was the first, so it was like the tithe. And he told them, don't touch of any of the garments, don't take any of the gold, the silver, don't take any of it. Now, why was that? It was the first of 10 cities. All the other cities they'd be able to take. He was teaching them tithe way back then. Don't touch anything in Jericho. 
Of course, Agin took it and he put it under his tent and he hid it and so forth. And as they, they go out to fight the next city, Ai, and they just send a little army because it's a little town. They don't have no reason to get the whole army up. You know, everybody else can sleep in, but they all get run out of town and they get beat back. And so Joshua has to go to prayer and find out. The Lord says there's sin in the camp. They have to go in there and find. And sure enough, Aben had, Achan had taken and had robbed God of the gold of Jericho. And, and they say it wasn't for. It was for the Lord's treasurer. That's what it says in, in Joshua 6. So the penalty was death. What was true of this individual um, eventually became true of the whole nation in Malachi's day, causing God to say, you have robbed me. But it didn't stop there. It's also the sin of Ananias and Sapphira was that of robbing God, which we read about in the book of Acts, chapter 5. And what was their penalty? It was death. And when the church age ends, the same pattern of withholding God's uh, due will still be evident. That's why the risen Lord says to the church, you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. We read about that in Revelation 3. I mean, you see a pattern of consistency of God dealing with human nature. And saying, if you can just get this revelation, you will not have all these things come upon you. I'm a firm believer with all my heart that if we fulfill biblical principles, especially as it relates to material restitution, God will bless us in ways that you cannot identify with a spreadsheet and a flow chart. You will not even be able to see it perhaps uh, in some sort of a bank uh, checking account register, but you will have blessings upon you and your children and your family and your health. There is things that you can't measure that God has protected you from and protected me from. So failure to give is equivalent to thievery, and God insists that until there's moral restoration and material restitution. There will be no fullness of blessing. So give heed then to making material restitution. In what three ways? Let's review. At the proper place, in the proper proportion, and for the proper purpose. If those conditions are faithfully met, then we will experience what the text describes as an open window in heaven. Boy, I don't know about you, but I want an open window, don't you? Let me wrap this up with the third one, a miraculous realization. Prove me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven. What a concept. I love that, that word picture there. This is of God's lavish blessing that there's literally, it's not a porthole. It's not a stream. It is a window of blessing, a window from heaven. That's revival. That's the outpouring of the Spirit for which all of us should seek. We cannot initiate it ourselves for it is the miraculous realization of God's presence and God's power. It is the providing of God in our lives through personal experience. Consider what this blessing produces. Number one, the rewarding of our faith. I will open up for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. What was to be a physical fulfillment in Deuteronomy 11 in Israel's day is intended to be a spiritual fulfillment in our day. God waits to visit us with, the Bible says, times of refreshing. That's how it's described in Acts chapter 3 and verse 19. Times of refreshing and flood tides of, a, of abundance. The original Hebrew language describes the extent of God's blessing and it's difficult to translate, but literally it means until there is sufficiency. Until there is sufficiency. 
which of course is to understand that means until there is no more need. He opens up the windows of blessing until there is no more need. In such a fulfillment, faith is more than rewarded. It is a, an outpouring of God's goodness that you can't put a dollar value on. It is the rebuking of our foes. He, he said, I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. The locusts had eaten the crops and mildew and blasting had destroyed what was left. And these physical pests and destroying elements represented the enemies of the people of God. Today they symbolize the forces of Satan that are arrayed against the church, against you, and against I. Outside of the experience of revival, there is no authority to rebuke the devil and his hordes. But once God breaks through from heaven, the enemy is rendered helpless and hopeless. This concept is expressed by Isaiah when he said, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Oh, hallelujah. When you are saturated with the power and the presence of God, when you're all Jesus and you're all in, there's something powerful about recognizing that there is no room for the enemy. He can't set up camp in your heart and in your mind. Sir Walter Scott wrote these words. There is a popular belief respecting evil spirits that they cannot enter an inhabited house unless invited, nay, dragged over the threshold. Hmm, i got to say that again because I love the way the English say things. There is a popular belief respecting evil spirits that they cannot enter an inhabited house unless invited, nay, dragged over the threshold. When your house, when this temple is inhabited by the Holy Ghost, the enemy can't sneak up on your blind side. He has no right, no access to your heart, to your life, to your mind, to your spirit. The only way he could get in is if you drag him over the threshold. Ooh, I don't know about you, but I think every one of us ought to put up a no vacancy sign and say, this place is already fully occupied by the Spirit of God. I got the joy of the Lord. It is my strength, and it is an abundance of God made manifest in my spirit. So if our hearts are completely occupied by the Spirit of the living God, the powers of Satan are already defeated. Finally, the renewing of our fruitfulness, and all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, saith the Lord of hosts. Here Malachi says that when the surrounding nations see the prosperity that follows true giving to God, they are rightly judged that the Lord has blessed these people. And in comparison, they can see the distinction between where they are and where God's people are. You may not always see that in America because we live in an affluent society. But if you were to go with me in some of the places that Brother George Long and I have gone and some of the places our men have gone in third world countries and Peru and, and down in the Dominican Republic and the Amazon and nations of Africa and, and Madagascar. If you were to see these nations and compare what it is that the people of God are living in and what it is that people are living in that are not serving God. It is night and day. People get in and get saved, and they begin to live by biblical principles. They begin to follow God's financial plan, and they begin to have quality of life. 
When we were in Madagascar, Brother Richard said, see that guy right there? We found him living in a box. He's a medical doctor now. See that lady over there? He went around and just started pointing to all of the blessings and people. And then when they took up an offer, they couldn't hardly contain it all. I've showed you the video of it. It's because there's such a, a power that happens whenever you follow God's word. And you say, you know what? It doesn't matter where you're at. It doesn't matter your socioeconomic level. People say, well, these are just principles that apply to people who already have money. No, it does not anything about it. It's no matter where you're at. Where you're position what your station in life is you just begin to start wherever you are and say i'm gonna bless the lord oh my soul and there's a blessing that comes with it oh i'm telling you god will begin to change your quality of life and the windows of heaven are opened up and when you're in the midst of these people you feel the power and the presence of god the average person considers it irrelevant the businessman regards it as pathetically inefficient while the journalist maintains that religious news is little or no news. But what would happen if the floodgates of heaven were open and revival blessings were poured out on local congregations and the church at large and multitudes would throng our buildings and the businessman would take notice and the reporter would write headlines in the press and the nations would call us blessed. You know why? Because it is undeniable. I said it is undeniable. I begin to see down there in the Amazon where people work all day long for $5 a day. And I begin to see how God's people were blessed. There was a peace. There was a, you, you could just tell when you were around them that these are people that are under the mighty hand of God. Not just in the clothes that they wear and the cars that they drive and their quality of life and family and all of that, and their health. And, but there is a glow about them that comes from the windows of heaven that are opened up. What are you talking about tonight, preacher? I'm talking about the basis of all blessing. Would you stand to your feet today? God's pleasure for us, God's purpose for the church is that we would be in a delightful land, a paradise of fruitfulness and fragrance, a delightsome land. Church is made up of individuals, you and me. And we are the fruit of the Spirit. We are evidence of a faithful God. It is evident in our lives. Are we living in revival? Is our witness making an impact in a contemporary society? If not, then let us seriously and urgently ponder the true basis of blessing. The basis of blessing is a heart to give. Summarized in one sentence. The basis of blessing is a heart to give. That's why when we come together, when we worship God, we give him worship. We lift up our voice. We lift up our hands. We lift up our heads. And we give glory and honor unto God. I wonder if we could do that right now. Would you just give him some praise? Lord, I thank you that you're a faithful God. You have blessed us beyond our wildest imagination. You have kept us, Lord. Oh, what a great God you are. Let us not be guilty of what was prophesied through the prophet Malachi. Lord, we pray for an open window in heaven. We pray that there would be favor and blessing upon every home, every marriage, upon every job. 
But, oh, God, we recognize that it's going to require more than just us praying. But, Lord, we've got to get down to what is required of us. And, Lord, we commit ourselves to moral restitution, Lord. We commit ourselves to material restitution. We commit ourselves to understanding, God, that you have the miraculous that you want to do. And if we can get a realization of it, God, you will begin to open up those windows of heaven. And we don't have to live in fear and worry. We don't have to live in doubt and strife and stress. But we can lift up our hands, Lord. Hallelujah. In your house and glorify you, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Oh, I feel this so strongly in my spirit. Hallelujah. I will bless the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. Mm, glory be to God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I feel the conviction of the Holy Ghost is resting in this place. I pray the anointing of your spirit to come upon us, Lord. I pray for conviction in your spirit to move us to a place of repentance and obedience. I'm going to make things right, Lord. Before this year is over, I'm going to make things right, God. Hmm. Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Move us with your message one more time, Lord. Stir up the gift that is within us, O oh God. Hmm. Hallelujah. Yes, Lord. We feel the conviction of your spirit, Lord. Your word has called us to a place of repentance. I want to challenge this great body of believers. Before this year is over, there's only a few days left. I want you to take inventory of this year. And before this year is over, don't let this year end without making everything right with God. Before December 31st, whatever it is, Make it right with God. Don't let this year close with unbalanced books of things that belong to God that you have kept for yourself. I'm here to tell you right now, if you'll do what God has instructed you to do in your word, that, that those blessings will flow freely. And you'll begin to have joy like you've never had before. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. You believe it? I know you do. God is a great God, isn't he? Thank you so much for your time and attention. Let's dismiss in prayer. Lord, we're so thankful for your word, thankful for your spirit. Thankful, God, that you continue to love us, Lord, and to encourage us through the principles of your word. So thankful for this great body of believers, Lord. Thankful for their faithfulness, Lord, and their heart to serve you. We know, God, that we receive blessing and honor from you every time we gather because of the faithfulness of your people. But, Lord... We know until we get to heaven, there's room for improvement, Lord. We're going to continue to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, as your word instructs us, 
to what you gave to that New Testament church. You're still doing it with your church now, Lord. We're going to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that you would fill up our lives, Lord. Fill up this bucket with joy, unspeakable joy, full and running over in the name of Jesus Christ. Everybody said amen.